So I moved to New York, I want to say two or three months after graduating. I, I went back to Buffalo for a month and was just like a bum. And then <laughs> I moved to New York like two or three months after just because I felt like it was where I wanted to live and work, at least at the time. Hey, y'all, I'm Alexis and welcome to First Year Project, a podcast sharing the stories behind the good, bad and integral aspects of first year experiences. That's Darian journalist, podcaster, and currently editor at BuzzFeed. We met for this interview almost a year ago in a nearby coffee shop in Harlem. A live band had started playing downstairs almost exactly before she walked through the entrance. But I loved the green plants and wooden stools too much to even consider moving locations. While sipping water infused with cucumbers, we talked about everything from her start in journalism and mistakes in vulnerability to working on hardcover with Daniel Smith and Elliot Wilson and interviewing the Cardi B. Stay tuned to listen to the entire interview. You can find First Year Project on Twitter and Instagram at First Year PRJ. P is in Paul, R is in Ricky, J is in John. And on Facebook at First Year Project. For visuals and previous episodes, visit firstyearproject.com. If you like the show, please make sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes as it helps First Year Project go up in the rankings and reach more people. If you're not familiar with how to do this, please visit firstyearproject.com review. A link will also be included in the show notes. Um, so first and foremost, I like to ask my guests in the beginning, what do you do and why do you do it? That is such a loaded question. For me, um, but I guess to make things short, I am a journalist. I like to also tell people that I'm a news curator because I'm really interested in reading a bunch of things on one topic and finding what I believe resonates best and sharing that with people. Uh, I'm a podcaster. I also have my own podcast. And I think I'm a budding and developing writer. The reason why I do it is because... I mean, the reason I do it, I just, I just, to be completely honest, I actually went, I went to school for journalism. Shout and, out to Emerson. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Emerson, actually. <laughs> and I chose journalism when I was in high school because I knew that I liked to talk to people. I knew that I wanted to travel. I knew I always wanted to be like experiencing new things just because like that was how I grew up. And so I thought to myself, well, what is the best way for me to always do that? And I thought journalism. So it was kind of a shot in the dark, like choosing a major when you're 17, 18 years old. But it actually ended up working for me. It's kind of a crazy concept. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, I mean, just the thought of choose like what like what's a good school? Exactly. You know, like, oh, is that a good school? Is that a bad school? Like all of these very vague terms that we use to determine um this, the status quo of our education, right? It's all very dumb. But anyways, yeah, so I'm very grateful that I actually chose Emerson. And I, right now I can't imagine my, I can't imagine doing anything else right now. I love journalism and I love writing. That's dope. Mm-hmm. So in thinking of like uh, kind of how you were raised, that's something that you brought up. What was your upbringing like? And how would you say it's kind of shaped your understanding of like your place in the world? For sure. So I would actually say that when you look at like my 25 years of life so far, I've had a diverse upbringing 
throughout the spectrum of my 25 years. I grew up in Buffalo, New York. I actually didn't grow up, People, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I didn't actually grow up in the city of Buffalo. I grew up in a suburb right outside, like 10 minutes away, called Williamsville. I but automatically assume that all of Buffalo was just one large suburb. So no. that's an important thing to know. Yeah, no, it's like, I mean, it's definitely not a city in the way that New York is, but I grew up in Williamsville. I was born in Long Beach, California, but I moved to Buffalo when I was really young. My dad is from Buffalo. My mom is from Ohio, but they met in California in Long Beach. So I was I was born in Long Beach, and um, I like grew up around white people my entire life. Okay. So I it, like in my entire edu- through my entire education, I want to say I had two like teachers of color, like black oh, yeah. te- like teachers of color. So. Through college, even mm. through college. Really? And so oh, even though, like, I, I grew up around, like, in white spaces my entire, like, my entire life, um, I came from a family that um, reminded me every day of how amazing it was to be black and to be proud to be a black woman. And also my grandmother um, owns a restaurant in the city of Buffalo, so I was just... I was there. I was always around different types of people. Um, I don't want to say like everything was relative to me, but I but I do want to say that I treated people the same. Okay. I don't want to say all the time because like clearly I'm a biased person and as we all are, but um, I just had a lot of opportunities to meet when to meet different types of people um, with different types of backgrounds, different type of um, values, like all throughout all throughout while I was living in Buffalo okay and um I also had a lot of opportunities to I I played softball um I played the violin from like five until 18 years old I mean now I I just feel like I'm telling you random stuff about myself but I just say all this to (laughs) say that I used to play the violin though too yeah I just say all this to say that I was I was given a lot of opportunities to interact with people who were not like me and who were like me and it and it just gave me a broader sense of the world. And I don't think everyone always gets that, especially mm-hmm. when they're growing up. So I'm very fortunate that I had that. Very awesome. Now, journalism, I imagine, brought you to Emerson. But what what was your relationship to, to Boston as a city? Cause, so I'm born and raised in Boston, so <laughs> I have my own relationship. Right. I'm always having to, you know, stick up for Boston. But I always like to to ask like what other folks think of the city and kind of what their relationship is to it. For sure. So I think actually a part of it was a little bit of intuition. When I was applying for schools, I went to, when I was in high school, I went to like a private Catholic like college prep school. Mm -hmm. And it's actually weird how I started going to that. Not weird, but I feel like it was meant for me to go there because I actually went to a public school all throughout my life. And then in eighth grade, I kind of just told my parents like, I want to switch schools. Like, I want to go someplace else and I actually really think that 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 affected my trajectory period um, but I knew that I wanted to get out of Buffalo so when I was applying for schools I didn't apply to a single school in Buffalo I was like there is no chance in hell I'm no trapping myself ain't no way and I knew that I wanted to live in a city I wanted to go to school in a city and I also had like a very twisted notion that like most news happens in cities and we know that news happens everywhere. So yeah. that was like a twisted notion. But mm-hmm. when I was 18 years old, that's what I thought. So I was like, I need to be in a city to study journalism. We know it's not true. Anyways, that's what I thought was true when I was like 17 years old. And so I just applied to Boston because 
I knew that it was a place where it wasn't a New York, uh, and it was like a college city too, with a yeah. lot of colleges, and I felt like I could handle it. So yeah, that was really my train of thought back then. Very, very cool. Now, after graduating Emerson, um, what was your actual first year experience like working on your craft as a woman of color uh, and also as a writer? Once I graduated from school? Yep. So I moved to New York, I want to say two or three months after graduating. I, I went back to Buffalo for a month and was just like a bum. And then I moved to New York like two or three months after just because I felt like it was where I wanted to live and work, at least at the time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think a lot of people feel that way, you know, just come to New York and make it whatever, whatever. But I, I just felt like it was a smart move for me and I had some good connects in New York. So I moved to New York. I knew that if I wanted to work in New York, I needed to be here to, to let people know that I was here and to do face-to-face interactions. I couldn't be in Buffalo with like a Buffalo with Buffalo on my resume and not in want jobs in New York. I just yeah. didn't feel like it worked that way, and I still don't think it, would sh- it mostly works that way. And so I was serving at a restaurant over the summer just to make money until I found a job, and I gave myself until the end of the summer to find a job in my field. And... Um, and I ended up receiving a job actually through a past internship and then a connection at Dateline NBC. And I found it by August. So I was serving at like a restaurant in the Upper East Side. And in, in all of my free time, mm-hmm. I was um, searching for a job, like basically emailing people, just like strategizing basically about how I was going to get a job in my field. So. Ended up getting the job as like a program coordinator for the show Dateline. So I was working in 30 Rack. And it was definitely, I mean, I think just the transition from being in college and interning is different than than being an adult, quote unquote, because yes, you're being managed, but like people are depending on you for legitimate things. And you're actually getting paid more money than what you would as an intern. And so... I learned a lot, um, I think, I, I learned a lot about communicating with people who were, like, not not my peers, definitely, like, people who are more experienced than me, but it wasn't on a level of, I was an intern, it was definitely on a level of, this is an entry-level position, but I get, I'm here every day and get paid just like you, and, um, and we're all working together to put on this show, and, um, and so, I think... A lot of it has been about me affirming my confidence. Okay. And a lot of it has been about realizing that I'm amazing and being confident in my skill, but also being really open to learning and not letting anyone bullshit me. That's really what it comes down to. What what do you mean by that, by what you just said, not letting anyone bullshit you? Like, not letting anyone speak to me any kind of way. Um not uh, demanding respect in a way that is is not threatening, um, but understanding how to carry myself in a way that people know to to respect me and what I do and what I'm passionate about. And to also let others know that like, I'm someone who's very much a team member. So, and I feel like, especially when you're working on a, on a show, at least mm-hmm. for my time at, at Dateline, we all played some sort of part in putting the show on air. And so I'm very much a team player in the way that um, 
I want to work with others. I want to like support others if, if I can and I want to play my part and I don't have the tolerance for passive aggressiveness. I don't have a tolerance for uh, rudeness, period. And uh, whether you treat me poorly because you think you can because I'm, because you have this sense of entitlement, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm gonna say something to you. So, yeah. Ha- has that ever backfired? No, I don't feel like it's backfired. I think if anything, people are kind of shocked when you say something because I think we're so, I think women are are sometimes, or at least I was so used to holding in how they feel or not knowing how to approach things yeah. on, uh, when, when they happen in real time. Uh, so it's, it's not about me like being aggressive or, po- or popping off in the office or being, being loud or rude. I just think it's about doing what's right for yourself and also doing what's right for a work environment and finding ways to do it um, in a way that's healthy so that like everyone can realize their mistake as like a person Mm -hmm. and they're for like at their job and then like in the workplace and moving on from that. It's like when you make a mistake, right? It's like something that I have become good at and I'm very happy for this Mm -hmm. is like when I make a mistake, I I don't ever sulk on it. It's like, okay, cool. I made a mistake. I apologize. I fixed it. I'm going to move on from this situation. I I don't like to soak on my mistakes because, first off, no one really knows what they're doing. I mean, there are, like, some people, but I think we're all, because we're all figuring it out. Yeah. Um, I'm going to just continue to figure it out, like, onward. Mistakes are a part of the process. I've never learned a lesson when I've gotten something uh, right, right? Because it's like, well, cool, I did it correctly, let's keep it moving. But really, I've always thought that with mistakes, you you are kind of forced to evaluate the situation or the strategy and say, okay, like, what do I need to do moving forward? Right. Speaking of mistakes uh, or challenges, Thus far in your career, like, what's been the most difficult or the most vulnerable moment that you've had? Um, so I don't, to be honest, I don't have a particular moment or situation. But what I will say is I think that my life right now and where I'm at in my career right now is a very vulnerable place in general. So to me, it feels just like this ongoing feeling. So right now I just think with a lot of the things that I'm doing, sometimes I feel like I do so many things that people don't actually know what I do. First of all, that is to to think that and to know that or to believe that that's true makes you feel vulnerable because you don't ever want to be the person who people are like, what does she do? What does she do? What does she do? And um, I worry that because I am not someone who like focuses on one thing, but is interested in so many different things within journalism and and media, that it's almost like a blur to people. But right now I'm just working on a lot of things that are very public, right? And it's so funny because I always think of Rembert Brown. Well, right Mm -hmm. now he's former Grant Lamb and now I I think like New York Magazine is writer at large. But he, I will never forget, he has this this Tumblr and I'll never forget where he, basically what the gist of the post was, was that um, you're like growing up on the internet. So you're making mistakes literally in front of people. Yeah. And it's like, can you... 
I was thinking to myself, like, can I prevent that? And a part of me says yes, but the but the other part of me says no because because of the nature of my work and mm-hmm. also like what I do. So like two major things that I'm doing right now on my podcast, and that's like a very What's your podcast oh, called? My podcast is called <laughs> Am I Allowed to Like Anything? And the hashtag is A-I-A-T-L-A. And I bring on a new guest every episode and mm-hmm. I talk to them about their work, their lives, and things they actually like in culture as opposed to all the shit we know we hate. Yeah. And um, also just like critiquing things in a way that hopefully like pushes the conversation forward. Mm-hmm. So um, that has been a journey for me because with each episode, I feel like the podcast has gotten better and I'm really proud at, at where I've gone with it. Um, and, and I also believe I have like said some suspect things on my, like on my own podcast. And to me, that's just like the nature of, of learning and becoming more like more woke as, got it, got you know it, okay. so so it's like like I feel like anyone could call me out at any time for anything that I've said but if I don't do it then I also am not pushing myself to learn so there's that and then there's also the newsletter that I do with Fusion right now and that's, okay. a, that's a Monday through Friday newsletter and, it, and in that newsletter it's is truly my voice or at least my voice that I'm trying to develop and to know that like there is a um, something that goes out to a lot of people every day. Granted, a, a, a percentage of them, not everyone opens it, but a percentage of them open it. Mm-hmm. And people are reading your words and your thoughts and your ideas. And like, you're also just trying to become a better writer and like learning how to work within a publication and learning how to work with an editor is all incredibly, is, is such incredible, an incredibly vulnerable experience for me so it's made me a little bit paranoid but once things are done I, I just try to wipe my hands of them and and, and reevaluate what I've done and just start branding how do you navigate uh through one just doing so much work right you didn't even mention like yahoo yet and like yeah, being oh editor there it, it seems as if you have jobs on jobs on jobs yeah well it comes from two things it comes Which is from dope by the way yeah no it's it's great because it's great because I'm accomplishing my goal Mm -hmm. my goal is to be a journalist who works with media outlets on specific projects whether it's a product it's a story whatever the nature of it is I'm not ever at least for right now looking to work one place I think that the influence of the individual journalist is going to continue to grow. You know, you look at some journalists on Twitter who have 500K followers. They, you know, some of them are are competing with their own publication's Twitter account in mm-hmm. terms of followers and influence and relevancy. And I, and I think that that's going to become even more... Uh, Apparent as we just continue to go through time. And I think that people are looking to trust people. And um, I want to be someone that people know that they can trust. And I am trying to, I think I'm just really trying to develop my voice right now in a way to do that. Even though I'm doing a lot of things, I'm accomplishing my goal. The nature of where I've seen the economy go, I am, I am afraid of instability. It's scary. I'm really afraid of instability. I, and 
Which brings me to my next point of like why I keep jobs. Mm-hmm. Because I am not someone who goes to my parents when I need money. I really try not to do that. Yeah. Uh, my parents have supported me in everything I've ever wanted to do and have trusted me. But I, they, they're not paying my rent. You know, they're not throwing me a couple hundred dollars every week. So I think part of it also is like a money thing, to be completely honest. And one of the things about Yahoo is that I work... I start working at like 4 a.m. I'm on like our morning news team for uh, News Digest, which is one of the apps that we have. Wow. And so that, and so I get off at like 8 p.m. And so that allows me to like do other things throughout my day. That allows me to work on my podcast. And so these are all like, this is all a part of my master plan. Like this idea of making money and still having time to be Darian and still having time to experience New York during the day in real time is all a part of what I what I want. I want a lot of different things. And even though I know you can't have your cake and eat it too, I'm still trying to have my cake and eat it too. <laughs> yeah. So you said that you start you start work at 4 a.m. and get off at 8 p.m.? Oh, no, did I say that? 4 and I get off at 12. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, 12, 12, 12, 12. Yeah, I it's was like, like an eight hour day. what time? <laughs> yeah. Granted, gotcha. though, I do, I do want to note that I am overworking myself. I don't suggest this to anybody. And I hope to make it to a place where I don't feel like I need to do all of this to make the money that I'm currently making. When So do you, I guess, know that you've gotten to that place when you have a certain, like, dollar sign? Or do you know that you've gotten to that place when you're just kind of... Like, I'm really liking the work that I'm doing, but I also am trying to preserve, like, me as an individual. Yeah, it's definitely more about... I think what I love about what I'm doing right now is everything that I'm doing, I like. That's good. I, that, I, I'm not just taking jobs just to, just, just to take jobs for money, for sure. Everything that I'm doing is teaching me something, is honing a skill, is allowing me to mess up and do better. Mm-hmm. And I'm just grateful that I'm able to like make money doing it along the way. Now that I figured out that I can do that, and I'm glad I figured it out at 25 years old. So here's my big thing. I don't believe in applying for jobs online. Like It is literally a part of my religion. I don't, I'm not an apply online jobs type of person. I'm definitely more of a relationship person. And uh, something that Danielle Smith, who we were talking about earlier, yes. who I worked with on hardcover, mm-hmm. who is also just uh, amazing, amazing like, yeah. editor, like amazing editor who I love to work with, uh, uh, amazing uh, journalist and music journalist and mm-hmm. writer, author, um, Everyone just needs to, like, be familiar with who she is. She, like, she taught me the importance of, like, managing your relationships. But, like, as you are managing your relationships, you also need to be managing yourself. And, like, even two weeks ago, I found myself in this funk where I felt like I was dismissing people and I was too busy and I was too stressed and I was kind of acting nasty towards people. And I told myself, I told myself, no matter what, you must maintain your humanity you must maintain your optimism. You must maintain your joy, and you must you must continue to treat people fairly, because that is all uh, the women who have helped me, the men who have helped me, have ever done for me. And so, 
I remind myself of that every day of no matter how crazy life gets, I need to be working on myself. And as I work on myself, um, people like me. Mm-hmm. People uh, people want to help me. Even the job that I have at Fusion was just because I had a relationship with Dodai Studer, who's the executive editor over there. She suggested me for the job. So it's, it's, you know, it's just stuff like that will, will come up. And when the time is right and when the moment is right, it'll happen. So a lot of it has just been finding genuine, real ways to communicate with people. Like when I take, when, if I ask someone to meet me for coffee or to meet me for lunch, mm-hmm. even though I may be like the younger person or they may be someone who makes more money than me, I like to pay for it because people will never forget you. They will never forget you. And so I try to do that like when it's appropriate and when they will like allow it because they're so used to, I think that sometimes people like, Jay-Z is probably so used to going out to dinner and paying. But if you go to dinner with Jay-Z <laughs> and you could somehow manage to pay for that somehow, dinner. Somehow, some way. He is going to remember you forever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's what I mean. It's just finding real ways to communicate with people. That's not like, hey, I want to get coffee with you and pick your brain. Nah. How did you work on hardcover? How did that even come about? That is a perfect example. of. <laughs> I love how we talked about clapping and you clapped. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Don't bend the table, don't clap, <laughs> Okay, so that's actually a great example of a relationship and building relationships. So actually, I don't even know if this is ethical or not. Basically, when they were kickstarting for hardcover, I interviewed Danielle for her agenda.com. And, oh, yes, I actually read that piece. And when I interviewed her, I didn't just do a Q&A. I really tried to write something. And to be completely honest, she... She gave me so much to work with that it didn't even occur to me just to do a Q&A. I figured I was going to write something. Yeah. Full, or I was going to at least try to. And so that was when she was at Stanford at the time. Mm-hmm. And then we just always kind of kept in touch and said that when she gets back to living in New York, we were going to meet up. So I followed up with her. We, we met up. Um, we got lunch. And... I told her that I was looking to move on to something else after I spent a year at, at Dateline and I wasn't for sure what it was going to be yet. And even though I was looking at all, I went to Emerson for broadcast journalism and I was actually thinking of like going to the middle of nowhere. But to this day, I still don't think that was for me to like basically be on air to be a reporter at a local news station. Yes. But I, she said, well, I have this, I have this, I'm looking for someone to help me with hardcover in this way. This is what it would be. Let me know if you were interested, if you'd be interested I said, okay, cool. And so I actually paid for her. I paid for lunch. I found like a slick way to pay for lunch. And she, I think. What she, was your slick way? Like, like, what do you. The bill basically came and she wasn't paying attention. So I put my card down. Smart. And he took it. So it was perfect. She wasn't, she wasn't paying attention. So she was, very, <laughs> I think she was very, Danielle t- I know that Danielle will tell you to this day that that was something that stuck out to her about me because people just assume that when you're older it's like oh take care of this you're poor you don't have any money shit even if that's the case (laughs) which it was which it was at the time it was worth it it was worth it and so that's basically how I started working on hardcover and I 
actually had to continue to follow up with her because she was just in a state where she had a lot of things going on and I was in a state where I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. Yeah. So I was trying to find ways to not annoy her but to check in with her. Following up is so hard. It's something that I still struggle with. I do too. To this day because especially if it's a situation where someone's like, yeah, like I really love what you're, do- what, what you're doing. Like, let's do this. And then you follow up and you don't hear from them for months. Yeah. <laughs> It's tough. Yeah. So how was the experience like actually working on hardcover? It was so pivotal for me for a few reasons. First off, the diversity of our team. Yes, in terms of of race, but also in terms of location and age and experience and career field. And mixed with the lack of ego. Mm-hmm. Everybody flourished. Everybody won, I think, with that in that type of environment. And also it was a very startup environment. So I was doing things that I didn't like know how to do, but I knew how to get it done. Right. And I also was like managing a team of of interns and fellows and managing was something that I don't think I really even would have gotten an opportunity to do until I, I was much older. And I probably won't even get that chance until I'm until I'm much older is again so um, I think just the opportunity of learning very quickly and just having fun and developing taste and taste how ta- so I think that I just developed a broader taste for the world and for community underrepresented communities mm-hmm. and also uh, like I think I became a better researcher so it's one of the reasons why well, I, I'm not one of the reasons why I, but I think we all be, became better researchers, at least within like the interns and fellows, because we had to put together the Heartless newsletter, which was supposed to be, you know, finding other perspectives that weren't just on the New York Times. So just that hardcover was definitely a pivotal moment of me, like acquiring like taste and also like figuring out like what my taste was. Yeah. And then, um, developing this even broader perspective of the world and also curation of news is where that interest buds like buds mm-hmm. from for those of you who uh have been under a rock and don't know hardcover is essentially a magazine in like book form that's for like the new everyone is basically acknowledging that in media we need to make sure that we are covering all the different types of communities Absolutely. that exist in America, at least within America right now. Like how, The way I always explain hardcover to people is it is an examination of who and what we cover in media and figuring out how we sh- can expand that because America has changed. It has. Like diverse, like, you know... As people say, like it's a melting pot. No, that shit is actually true. You know, the minority is no longer in terms of numbers. The minority. The minority. Yeah. So it's just a re-examine of like everyone deserves to see them a a true depiction of themselves in the news. Absolutely. On the internet, in in magazine pages, and it was also cool because I never would have imagined that I would have worked for a print magazine, and now, and now I want to make another magazine. Yeah. Yeah. So how has that experience kind of influenced the work that you do now? It's influenced the work that I do now because now I'm always trying to bring unique perspectives into the work that I do at Yahoo and even into the work that I do at Fusion. I mean, I think Fusion is definitely um, 
it's very similar to hardcover in the sense of they're they're all about diversity of, of, of kind of covering covering the underrepresented in so many ways um, but I just really try to uh, bring stories that are not only relevant are are relevant to black people are relevant to Native Americans like maybe as, as a white man you don't understand why this story is is relevant because like because it's just not something that you typically uh, it, it, it's not it doesn't fit the standard cookie cutter requirements of what a, of what a top headline news story is but take for example like when Fife Dog died I was I was waiting for that AP story so that I could put it in the in the mobile app that I work on at the yeah. Yahoo News Digest at Yahoo. Like I was just waiting for these for these moments. Uh, today we had Essence Fest and mm-hmm. you know like all of those things are are cool to to someone who is who has a mobile phone right and who has this app and so yeah there's a demographic of people who of what their interest is based off how much money they make or where they live or how they grew up or what their race is, but also, like, helping to broaden their perspectives, too. Because hopefully some of them are curious people and not just trolls in the comment comment page of every place that you read. (laughs) Of of every crevice on the Internet, yeah. I also think that it's okay for something to not necessarily be, quote-unquote, for you. 100 <laughs> percent and for me and for me too right yeah. like and figuring out well i'm not i'm not i don't you know this isn't this doesn't tag my interest but figuring out something that i'm figuring out right now are what my news values are as gary as a news curator and i don't want it just to be based off of what i like i think that's very selfish i think that's very fucking selfish so stepping outside of yourself too is Mm -hmm. obviously really important when you can do it and when you can figure out what that looks like i read your uh cardi b interview god bless her (laughs) don't even get me started on espn's undefeated the undefeated and it was super dope like uh how was it actually interviewing her I, I am getting you started, actually. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sometimes I just listen to the voice memos <laughs> for a conversation, like, of the taping of our conversation, because I just, I just, that girl, that woman. Wait, so, so I'm let's gonna, go back a little okay, bit. Yeah, so sorry. How, did, how did this even come about? Okay, so I'm working on this column that's on the Undefeated called Culture Play. It basically, in it, which is right up my alley because it had to do with like interviewing people. Interviewing is something that I love to do, and I actually really hope to craft my my writing career or my beat around profiles and interviewing people, mm-hmm. whether it's on camera or something written. That's like something that I think I'm good at and definitely want to develop. So. The culture play is basically interviewing celebrities, thought leaders, big personalities, people in culture about their social media tics, as I like to, how they consume media. And so I actually like really wanted to interview Cardi B for my podcast, and I know it would have been an amazing conversation, but I just like don't, I'm not big enough to be, to do it, to do that. So I, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And so I, spoke to Danielle and I said I want to interview Cardi B she did not hesitate in telling me yes or at least I don't think so and then 
I like to do them in person when I can because exactly. then I can really get face to face and I can really talk to you. I mean, I can do phone and I can make you feel comfortable o- over the phone, but if we can do in person, then it's lit. It's a very different type of vibe. Yeah. And so, oh my God, she kept me waiting. Her, she kept me waiting for so long. Like literally, I think I waited two and a half hours. She was running so late. And I had to, like, move locations because, like, things were closing. Like, I was... At first, I met her at a museum uptown. Um, I'm blanking on the name of the museum, museum, but it was, like, a Hispanic museum or or something of that. Okay. And that closed. And so I went to, like, an Italian restaurant, and I was just like, meet me here. And it was, like, her, her two, like, two guys. Like, one was her manager. Mm -hmm. The other... I don't know what he he was somebody and then also like her producer who she worked with on her mixtape um the gangsta bitch volume one I actually haven't listened to that you gotta listen to it I think one thing that she is doing um that we don't we still don't really see that often is she's telling a story she has Mm. these interludes and she's bringing you through her life and I actually really appreciate that that's awesome so she finally comes in uh so we just talk have a conversation that was really what it was about there was honestly a lot of there was a lot of stuff that obviously didn't get into the interview just because of length but I think what I valued the most about her conversation which was just this idea of something I never thought about before is I think that people think that she's playing a role and I think that she obviously knows like what her audience likes and what makes them laugh and she knows how to pinpoint that now and share it but she's so disheartened by the fact that who she is is breaks the rules of breaks the policies of Instagram and is the reason why her account has been shut down and the reason why she feels policed by the people in her comment section who are reporting her and so I just think it, I just think it's so it could, I mean could you just imagine growing up yeah and uh, and you're on a social media platform acting like yourself. And all of a sudden, that platform is like, nah. I think a lot of people think that it's an act, that it's like a show. But that's really interesting to like hear from someone who's interviewed her that she's actually like she feels some type of way she about is that extra. because that is who yeah. she is. Yeah, like yeah. she and, and it just hit me because we all just kind of view her as as like as like a caricature. Yeah. And I really wanted to in the interview. I really just wanted to wipe all of that away. I didn't want to ask her about her ass and titties. Charlemagne has already done that. Like there are too many interviews Club, on Hot the internet on all corners of the internet that literally are asking the same questions about ass and titties and it's absolutely (laughs) absurd actually it's actually one of the reasons why i started my podcast i was like bro this could be an even better interview like why are we why are we talking about this again like talk about it once and then i just feel like ask these people something new no seriously like what she also understands and knows about hip-hop and her knowledge of, of hip-hop and regional hip-hop, she didn't make it into the interview, I also thought was incredibly insightful in how she studied music for her mixtape and how she studied music while... What she, do you mean she studied music? Like, I think that when she was traveling and going on club appearances at, at different, across the country, she was listening to music, she was listening to hip-hop and learning how to make hits and mm. learning what a hit sounded like in L.A. and learning what it... She knew she knows what a New York hit sounds like. Yeah. Knowing what a hit sounds like in the South and like just creating music that you know was for a wide range of people and I think that when you don't have some you don't have an A&R person helping you to do that she was really just using her resources which you know women are just known for 
knowing how to do is using our resources and being scrappy with what we've got and creating something really good. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, What would you say has been your most meaningful uh, piece of work and why? Hmm. I would actually say hardcover. Uh, Just because... What the advice I, I always like to give to people my age is that if you can do something physical that you can hand to your parents, they will understand what you do <laughs> 10 times more. And that feeling is worth everything. That That is worth everything to me. Like my parents came to like the launch party for hardcover. Very dope. And when they like finally saw what I was working on and it wasn't just this abstract thing and I wasn't just like working for this startup and it, it became so real to them. And that moment for me was like, yes, this is what this is what the work I'm trying to do. Hardcover is is what I want. I, I'm not there yet, but hardcover is what I want my work to be and, and look like. And just that level of quality is really what I'm what I'm aiming for right now. Also, like being able to create a community, like it was Boom. released what October 2015, and people are still buying and posting pictures of their hardcover. Yeah. It, it, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. so few people know how to create community. And it's I, hard. And the fact that Danielle and Elliot know how to do that, to me, like, actually blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also listen to their uh, podcast, Relationship Goals, and I think it's hilarious. Can I tell you? They act like that in real life. <laughs> I'm well, sure I mean, like, they obviously do. Obviously, like it's not hard to realize that, but <laughs> sometimes I listen to it, and I'm just like... I feel like I'm at dinner with them right now, and this is how they legitimately are. Oh, man. Okay. In wrapping up, a couple more questions. Um, knowing what you know now, and right, you're still learning and growing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you got a chance to talk to your first year self, giving your first year self some wisdom, what would you say? Besides listen to your parents. <laughs> um... Why listen to your parents? I wish I would have listened to them closer about money and, like, my responsibility with money, which is something I'm still learning. Um, I don't... I would tell... I would... I think that... I think that my first year self and what I actually still believe in myself now is I'm good at following my tuition. And I'm in... I am also very good at figuring out what I want. I know what I want. And so I think that sometimes I get caught today in the in the fluster of just life, like the complexities of life and and sometimes I forget that life is not going to be perfect and it throws me off. And I know that sounds so crazy, to think like, well, duh, life is not a perfect thing. But I think that my first year self would just remind myself now to continue to be yourself, continue to go with your gut. What you're doing now, keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. I think that is what my, I think that's what my first year self would tell me to do. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode, y'all. If you have thoughts you'd like to share about the episode or want to share your own moment of transition, make sure to drop me an email at firstyearprj at gmail.com. A link to subscribe to First Year Project's newsletter is included in today's show notes. 
The newsletter allows you to get first dibs to episodes and will also begin including more exclusive content. So make sure to subscribe with the link in the show notes. Today's background music is My Night by Chantel Acta. You can find her on SoundCloud.com. Editing, production, and hosting on today's episode were done by myself. Thanks for the love, y'all. Until next time, have a dope week.